You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. Bam! We are Music Biz 101 and more, your free advice radio show and podcast. Find us every Wednesday at Brave New Radio, 88.7 FM on the campus of William Patterson University in Scenic Way, New Jersey on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher Radio, also as a podcast. I'm your co-host, Professor David Kirk. Philp with your other co-host, Dr. Esteban. Yep. <laughs> Dr. Esteban, Yep. Yep. We are alive and we are pre-recording what you're listening to from Nashville, Tennessee at the Music Biz 2016 convention. <laughs> Tremendous. How's the weather out there today? The weather, we have no idea because we're in the bowels of the <laughs> convention, convention center. center. But we should give thanks to Music Biz Association for actually letting us do this. Correct. At no charge. So we're down here. We're recording many interviews. We have an interview with our good friend John Butler from Curb Records Thank today. You. John Thank Butler. You. Thank you for having me. It's, please don't interrupt. All right, great. It's going to be held by Charles, Dr. Charles Potenza, who's getting his MBA in music management from William Patterson University. And why is you why why did you say Charles, uh, doctor? Doctor, because uh, Charles actually has is it a doctorate? Yeah, yeah. He hides behind his doctorate of oh, pharmacology. Yeah. Is it what is oh, this pharmacy? Got, doctor of yeah. pharmacy. And, it's not as cool. And did yeah. I? <laughs> and he got a free ride with us, didn't he? Because he's our. Uh, He's no. a direct link to to uh, uh, to all of our oh yeah oh yeah Charles, all right. Charles hooks case, us up. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I was on for <laughs> is, is is that legal now? Medical marijuana in, in uh, New yeah. Jersey? Yeah. Is it yeah. really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Charles knows. Yeah. Charles yeah. Knows. Yeah. spent yeah. a lot of time working at the legality. Yeah. Yeah. We're only kidding, Kathy. Mm. I know. But by the way, we should thank. Sure. So we want to thank Jim Donio, president mm. of the Music Business Association, yeah. and all those who have been helping us and giving us a space here in the Nashville Convention Center for William Patterson University students like. Charles, Dr. Charles Potenza to connect and interview some with some great guests. We want to thank Mia, the Music and Entertainment Industry Education Association, for their grant, which helped pay for people like Charles to get here. We want to thank the folks at Van Dyne, Bruno Inc. and White Hat Management. Uh, our good buddy Aaron Van Dyne, mm-hmm. who's the Van Dyne and Van Dyne Bruno. Uh, they uh, sponsored some of this to help Who's our the students. Bruno and Bruno? I've never met the Bruno. We're never going to get to John Butler. We're never going to get to, to the Butler and John Butler. <laughs> With artists like Charlie Puth, Dave Matthews, Sharon Jones, the Dap Kings, and Kiss, there's only one place to go for your band's business management. Go to vb-cpa.com when you are ready, meaning every band isn't ready for management, but when they are ready for their business management, these are the people to go to, Dr. Correct. Marconi. I am correct, so I am not wrong. We also want to give thanks to Christine Vey, a wealth manager and the president of Vey Wealth Management. Christine has helped many of our professionals at William Patterson to manage their investments and plan out their retirement. If you're looking for some guidance on how to plan for your retirement or you have questions on anything from investments and portfolio management to insurance to retirement planning, give Christine a call at John. Please repeat after me. 732 732 455 455 1510 1510 You can also email her Christine at VeyWealth.com for advisement. And now with much ado we would like to open the open the phones. We're taking calls. We are not opening the phones. But Charles, 
Uh, first time, long time, Charles. We would like you to now give, if you have your brief bio on our friend John Lennon Butler. Are you looking? You do you have a little bio? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there we bio. go. And then we uh, we're gonna do the bio, and then Charles is gonna start asking questions, and Marconi and I will butt in at all times. Awesome. You may go. Go. Um, yes, we have John Butler with us currently. He's working at Curb Records as VP of Promotion. That that's right. That's are, cool. are you nervous, Doctor? Yeah. Listen to this. You're the one with the you're two doctors yeah. in the room. Neither of one are uh, John or me. So um, he is an alumni of William Patterson University. Um, that's correct. Yeah. And, and, and the music business program. And the music business program. Yeah. Graduated um, with me. That's right. Yes. Or I. So, yes. We graduated together. Graduated Class together. of 1990. Who else what was in that class? class? Is there Michael a Toll. Michael Toll is in that right. class. Was, an airline was Rob Fusari in that class? Sort of. Sort of. Yeah, he never graduated. He never graduated. Until in the 2000s. Okay, yeah. gotcha. He came back. Gotcha. That's Grammy winner Rob Fusari. That's right. So and and Chris Roslin is also in that class. Yes. I believe. Yes. As well. And Dave Radkowski. That's right. Dave formerly Radkowski. of MCA Records. Chris, Please, Charles. Chris is still in the business. Yes. Yeah. President of uh, Yale. <laughs> no, it's a PR firm that's <laughs> sort of uh, left music. Mm -hmm. But it was heavy music when he mm. was in it. Right. Uh, when he first joined, Paul McCartney was one of their clients and so on. Oh, wow. that's right. Dr. Potenza, well, please take uh, over. Yes. So, um, <clears throat> take it he, back. He first <laughs> got his start um, doing college radio promotion for TVT Records. That's correct. Is that correct? Yeah, and then correct. In, that, in that case, you worked with the upcoming group Nine Inch Nails. At that or, point in time, yes. Which is just <laughs> technically Trent Reznor, right? Isn't it At just that point in time, it was the band. Uh, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Trent was the main guy, but he had other folks that were in and out with of that him. band. Mm -hmm. it's they didn't just, have Little John then, right? No, he no, wasn't was even way before then. Um, yeah. TVT had kind of started as a, um, a project that Steve Gottlieb, the owner, yeah, uh, right. to put out uh, television theme song records, mm -hmm. which is why it was called TVT Records. And, and he had a tremendous amount of success about four or five years before I got there um, and became this scrappy little independent and started signing young rock bands like the Canals, who were there mm -hmm. on that label. Uh, the Jack Rubies, uh, mm -hmm. he put out a record by an artist from Australia named Shona Lang, um, did a lot of stuff um, overseas, and was always a pretty eclectic record label even at that point. Mm -hmm. So, Wow. And even before that, you had started with an internship at like Z100, was it? Yeah, because I, uh, I worked at WPSC. So mm -hmm. this is my not only yeah very full circle. It really kind of <laughs> is. It wasn't and called Brave New Radio back then. No, it, it was wasn't. Just... It was barely called anything. It was called laser. It was called Laser Hits '89 PSC. Right. Oh, you were there when they were trying to be like a CHR station. Yes. Did it the... go off campus? It was an uh, it was FM. Yeah, it did. I don't remember the wattage. It probably got to Pompton and that yeah, you know right. and a little bit higher got to the. The, to the Ringwood. tower itself, and that was it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I believe John Kiernan was the uh, overseer yes, of yes. that. And uh, and the idea, and one of the reasons why I was actually able to get a, a internship at uh, at Z100 uh, at, there in New York was because the station uh, at, at William Patterson was a, a contemporary hit radio format was a top 40 radio station. So it was kind of grooming people to be in a situation where you can go right into a working radio environment as opposed to a college freeform format which isn't necessarily reflected in commercial radio. And actually our former producer. Philip Gorakowski? 
Z100. Intern with uh, Elvis Duran. That's right. Actually, it was Elvis Duran, technically not Z100. Right, okay. But <laughs> I know, but that, I, I would always, he would always say that to me, and right. I would say exactly what you said, Rob. You notice that there are, Dr. Charles, do you know there's, there's, there's <laughs> these kind of loops? Here? Yeah. 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 It's cool. cyclical. It is cyclical. Yeah, how did you like it there? Uh, Z100 was a, a well-run and very uh, powerful radio station, and there was a lot of talented folks that are still in the record business and still in the music business. Um, Kid Kelly was the mm -hmm. night uh, DJ, and uh, he's it's a serious. big wig at Sirius XM, mm -hmm. runs their Sirius Hits one channel and a number of other channels. And um, I mean, it really can go down the line. Scott Rubin is a very mm -hmm. well-known um, producer and uh, guy in the business, and he was there at the time. Scott um, Shannon, right? Wasn't he doing the morning? Scott was then? not there at that point. He had actually priest? left at PLJ. Oh, he'd already left. Yeah, it was Ross and Britton in the morning um, oh, okay. at that point in time. Uh, Ross and Wilson. Um, and uh, but there were really great music people, and um, and it was a great environment because I got to see people that worked in the record business come in a lot. So okay. all the local record um, executives came by. It was nearby, and if you had a pop record, you were going to Z100, you were taking a weekly meeting. So one of the, the responsibilities yeah. I had there was kind of like being there when they had the cattle call. Mm. It was on, I think it was Thursday mornings, where everybody would just hang out in the, in the lobby waiting to go see either uh, Frankie Blue or Adam Goodman and, mm -hmm. or, um, or Steve Kingston, who was the program director at the time. Wow. So, so like the program director, they just pick, like how do they kind of pick the rotation? Is it just based on like sales? That's not really it, right? Well, you know, I mean, back then, those all of the things that we utilize now in promotion were effective tools back then. That in itself hasn't really changed much. There's right. still a tool information um, to close or sale sort of transactional thing that goes on. Uh, but it's all done without, you know, anything changing hands. So it's still a suggested sort of like, hey, you need to play this, and here's why. So it's very, it's it's very soft sales, but it's pretty hard. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's the best way to describe it. Um, but so those things were still as valuable. And uh, Z100 did not take chances. It was a very conservative radio station. But when you were there, you didn't really know that. I wasn't aware of like how many artists were signed, how many things were waiting to get on Z100, or waiting to get on Top 40 Radio that were still in development. So we were dealing with you know the most popular songs in the United States. Yeah. And, and that's true of any primary market radio station. I'd say so, yeah. yeah. But they have a wealth of data now, and so do record companies, um, as opposed to where it was really, a, it still is a relational business in that sense, but um, what's changed is that there is just so much data, and so much data available, and one of the, my primary jobs is to kind of filter through what's important to each particular market and each particular person. And it may, mm -hmm. I mean, I've always, you know, I'm happy with my relationships, and it took a long time to develop those. But you know, they're not going to play something that's not working. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot more data a lot sooner um, that will tell us about whether or not there's a song or an artist that winds up being hit worthy for a particular station. There used to be an old, I guess it was a, um, I don't know if it was folklore or not, but that these guys in primary markets, when they were responsible for their stations. They weren't these consultants and so on. 
they would like to be reading R&R or Monday morning quarterback or something and uh, Friday morning quarterback and so on. Where's that football? <laughs> and um, there would be maybe like this little station 20 miles outside of St. Louis and they'd be watching that guy because when he played something and then they would sort of, because they always wanted to be first in the market with, sure. the, with the record, you know. I mean, was that folklore or were these guys, you know, had these little secrets like? Yeah, I think there was a lot of feeding of that and guys that they'd come up with. Um, uh, <clears throat> I don't know yeah. if it happens all that much. I mean, I guess it does. Um, the people that are programming radio or have always programmed, even when I was starting out, moved from small markets to larger markets. It was very rare. And I actually thought that I wanted to be in, like in radio. radio. And so to start at Z100 was like a verboten. It was like, it wasn't, wasn't gonna happen. Somebody had to die, you know, or I mean, it was the top, right? And um, I guess I just didn't either have a mentor or anybody that I really had these deep dive conversations with about, you know, how do you do that? But um, Kid Kelly, for, for instance, went, at nights at Z100 didn't program there. He went to Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania mm. to program. Mm. And that's really how he got his programming chops. And there are probably other examples of sure. that, but one that really stands to my mind is that here's the night jock on the biggest station in the world, in America, and he is gonna go program in a in market, you know, 130. Uh, yeah. to kind of get his chops. So there was always the sense of you remembered where you came from, you were there for two or three years, you moved around and bounced around, and, and during that, maybe you were a little bit more flexible with music, or you know, or the, uh, certainly the industry sort of looked at you to be a little bit more flexible with music, and mm -hmm. so you could really, um, they, you developed a network of people that eventually moved on to other radio stations, and there's a trust level of a lot of programmers yeah. with people that they worked with where they may just informally get together with one another. So what do you think of this? Am I really getting yeah. shafted on this record or is this really happening? Um, and uh, it's, that's a close, I mean, to be part of that cabal, which is really what it is, it's mm -hmm. like a, uh, that's how network started, you know, mm -hmm. that whole group of, mm -hmm. you know, independents as well as radio right. stations that kind of really followed one another. Yeah. Yeah. And it happens in chains of uh, radio stations now, iHeartRadio, have their own um, regional program managers that really kind of, they get together and they really talk about music and they decide pretty across the board what they're gonna do. Um, mm -hmm. Even though there's individual program directors, there is a, a national radio mm -hmm. programming element to this. Um, it's, it's actually, what, what they're seeing now is that they're starting to give more um, uh, decision-making ability and power to local programmers in certain markets because oh. they, they've seen the value of local radio oh. and that each market definitely has their own music flavor. Mm -hmm. um, but in, during after consolidation, and I'm jumping around a lot, no, but this is sense, part, of my, yeah. part of my... You know the gig that I'm dealing with right now is like they're starting to loosen up a little bit of this idea that there is one national format and you can program it out of one person for the entire nation yeah. and that's going to work and and I it's if, if anything streaming and all the other ways that we consume music are definitely showing that you know it's much more wild west and much more you know uh, varied mm. um, even though it doesn't appear on paper to be like that. Yeah, um, that stations 
Um, if you go to a particular market, you know, Nashville is different than New York, and it will always be different than New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and LA is a different vibe, and Miami is a different vibe. Um, putting a cookie cutter format that plays the same thing in each of those markets, you're going to get different results. And you can tell that from you mentioned data earlier. Like, yeah. you guys use Shazam. We had Joe Riccatelli on uh, from uh, RCA right. um, mm-hmm. back in October, and he was talking about how they use Shazam and talking about the different data points that they use. And I would think that Shazam, for example, uh, would be able to, you know, if you see people in Nashville Shazamming a pop track, it might be completely different from Florida or Oklahoma. So. Yeah, and up until a certain point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then because Shazam's great because radio, it's kind of like, it's, it's a really uh, effective way for radio to kind of see what's coming back to them mm-hmm. in a direct consumer way as opposed to just online research or mm-hmm. traditional you know, research. So you know, if something is Shazamming in a market, it must be getting airplay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's yes, you can Shazam when you're in a store. I find that I'm Shazamming mm-hmm. in a store or just randomly. I was in the bathroom earlier. And, and you Shazammed, Shazammed. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I that always, must have been weird for somebody to see you at the stall and right. go, Shazam! It was, it was a closed door <laughs> session. So, uh, But I've had that happen where I've gone into a, a bathroom, in a, whether it's a rest stop or a restaurant, and I didn't have my phone with me, and that's when the, that song would come on. Right. And I don't have Shazam, I don't have my phone with me to Shazam it. So, right. and I say something that rhymes with Shazam it because I don't have my <laughs> cellular telephone on. Charles, please continue. Oh, well, can I hit one point on Shazam real yeah, quick? Sure. Shazam, I mean, this kind of inside, but it, I think people would appreciate it. Shazam really is um, is just really reflective of what's already playing at radio, and it also yeah. shows that radio's listenership. Mm-hmm. Um, has even though it, that some observers really talk about that radio has less influence on new music discovery, is Shazam's the uh, the perfect uh, prognosticator to tell everybody that it isn't right. yeah. that they are the first place because um, Shazam is an active person's app. If you're not if you're using Shazam, you're into music. There's absolutely no reason why you wouldn't be. So if you're discovering, and if you see and you go and take a look at the markets where things are Shazamming, they, they tend to do reflect what's getting exposed in that market through traditional media. Um, there are some instances where that's not the case, but for the most part, it really resembles what the most popular stuff is. No, I'm always surprised to see like Taylor Swift on the top of certain Shazams in markets, because I'm like, everybody must know this song already. They have to Shazam it for. I think the exact yeah. same you know? thing. You look at their charts; they're very reflective of billboards. But I think it also talks about yeah. like one of the marketers' dilemmas is that even an artist like Taylor Swift doesn't necessarily always occupy the amount of brain space that we tend to give it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that music's music and people are not thinking and necessarily and frothing over the idea of a new Taylor Swift record and they're going to know it immediately. That it is going to wind up having a discovery phase and that's really reflective in Shazam. But what you brought up a second ago uh, was the fact that Shazam is basically a reactive measure. Yes. It's already on the radio, it's already out, it's not helping get somebody onto the radio. Well, it is. I think maybe Joe and other promotion people that you've talked to may see that it's a valuable tool when you want to convince another market market. that that there's that that's oh it goes back to that relational thing where a PD might know that guy and really respect his radio station. Mm -hmm. And oh you see it's Shazamming in Houston. 
and everybody knows the guy in Houston is a wonderkin and he's right. playing great records. And so it becomes another one of these tools that mm. are, were, yeah. were evident and when I was at Z100 yeah, and that's you know, what 20 I was getting years at ago. too. It's right. a different, you know, so he doesn't have to follow this little guy in St. Louis anymore. Right. It was, it's really the basic shazamming and mm-hmm. finding out what that guy is playing, but he had to read it in Friday morning quarterback or whatever. Our biggest mm-hmm. thing from a promotion standpoint is that I want predictive elements. Um, reactive mm-hmm. elements are great and they're useful as a tool. To me, it's about being able to go to A&R or in our building and be able to kind of have some predictive elements. And that also seems to kind of like say, well, then you can kind of eliminate the idea of needing somebody to do promotion. Mm-hmm. If you kind of know something's a hit already before you ever go out to market with it because you have all this research, why do you just take the data and go to radio? Mm-hmm. But that's where we relation, it's, it's a combination of the art of the relationship, the art of the data, and the art of the promotion skill. And all of those things are now important. Whereas I think when I first started out and certainly people that were there before me, um, it was so relational, mm-hmm. you know? And I'm sure it echoes in sales too mm-hmm. with the advent of SoundScan and yeah. all these other yeah. techniques to kind of find out what's really happening in yeah. the market. Because yeah. all that stuff used to be on paper and, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I need to hit this number here, you know, mm-hmm. can you call it in? I mean, you know, yeah. I don't really know how much Twisted Sister sold in mm-hmm. 1984. No. I mean, they sold a lot, but right. how much did they really sell? Yep. I'm not, I'm not, no deference no. to Atlantic or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> when yeah. I was with Polygram in my early, very early days, we would call Fridays was Friday mornings. You would call some retailers that they told you to call, and you would say, "Hey, here are our singles that we want you." If radio, a radio station were to call you and say. What's selling? You know, we want you to say John Mellencamp's this yeah. or right. uh, Bon Jovi's this is selling, and in and in return, I'll give you some CDs. You know, mm-hmm. kind of what it was. So it was not based on anything necessarily real. It was based upon, so partially, it was based upon. Can I convince you to actually say that? And who knows if the guy who I talked to would actually say it? Right, and I'm sure there's sort of stories about the, how Soundscan got started or VDS mm-hmm. got started. That's Probably something else. What else, Doctor? Doctor Well, like I have like a question sure. similar. Like, so say you have you signed like a small band, they have a good song. Like, how would what's the how would you promote it? Like, what would be? I, I, that's something I wonder about. Like, a, like an upcoming band, how do mm-hmm. they get like a song to be, on the radio? Yeah, or how do they even get it on the radio? Like if an unsigned. Unknown, Already, an unsigned yeah. band or a, what? Well, I don't know. Like, I guess we could say unsigned. Like, do unsigned bands even get on the radio? Some do. Um, yeah. There's some markets and some radio stations are really have the foresight to understand that they have an active and vibrant music community that's basically that, and they want to own that. And from a branding standpoint, if you're a radio station and you want to be Nashville, it's probably a good idea for you to have a celebrate Nashville sort of show somewhere in you know it could be any market in america where there's musicians putting out great music and they either probably put a probably put a show um that airs sometime on the weekend or in some sort of throwaway audience time (laughs) to maybe expose those Um, and then maybe if they rise to the top then it'll get it it can i I rarely see that it used to happen a lot more i think yeah um, there's always been battle of the bands, like mm-hmm. unsigned band contests that stations and uh, record companies have even done in the past. 
um, yeah. and, and different ways to discover and nurture talent that way. But from an artist that's signed, um, radio has become kind of the last place that we as an industry, I'm not speaking, well, I guess I'm, I am speaking for everybody, but for a number of um, labels, um, we want to be able to know that when we go to radio that there's a, a market base for something, that, um, that that artist has toured, that that artist is familiar enough that people, when they hear it on the radio, it could be the first time that they're hearing it, but it could be that it's that that particular artist has got a fan base that's going to talk back to them, that's going to react, that's going to be able to tell them, hey, this is an artist that we want to be supportive of and it's going to be around for the long haul. Somebody, um, a great promotion person was talking to me recently about how um, with new artists or artists at radio, there's a believability level. Is this, is I'm, if, if my airspace and airtime is this valuable, what makes me want to believe in giving you that spot? That's airspace. Are you going to be around? Are you going to have, um, are you going to create a fan base? And, you know, so that risk for them of playing a song that's unfamiliar where somebody's going to tune out and not listen to the radio station because they don't know who it is and they don't like it. Mm. No, don't know who it is is a tune out now. It might be yeah. the greatest song in the world, but they have no idea who it is or they've never heard it before. That could be like, that's not my radio station. I want to hear my favorite songs. Mm. So the branding of most radio stations, we play the hits. So how do the hits work, right? How do the hits work? And there's so many ways now before an artist that's signed gets to radio that we can determine or at least have a good enough excuse idea, or an yeah. idea that, hey, this artist has value in the marketplace as opposed to, yeah, we don't know, but you're gonna give us that mm -hmm. valuable air, air time. And I mean, I'm speaking like a programmer right now. Mm -hmm. You know, this is kind of their value is like, that's a, that's a spot, you know, three minutes and 30 seconds of my airtime. You know, give me your best shot. That's mm -hmm. why, you know, um, peers of, of mine and other people, you know, are, are great at, hopefully great at what they do and they develop new artists. That's a very difficult thing to do. So you handed from A&R uh, a non-radio friendly group, new band. So what do you do? Yeah, that's where my job has changed quite a bit. Uh huh. Because with the advent of streaming and the advent of smaller genre-based formats like mm -hmm. AAA or Americana or even just rhythmic top 40, right. um, there are more places than ever to go get music exposed. It's just a matter of does everybody have patience for what it takes to really uh -huh. see the results of that? Uh -huh. Because once you start getting to places where there might be valuable for somebody that, there might be valuable va value for an artist that um, may not necessarily be radio friendly, but it's kind of like, well, how do you, you can't necessarily use radio as the first entry yeah. into doing that. Right, right. They have to tour. Yeah. Or hopefully they'll get something later that might be radio friendly. Right. But for the most part, our A&R department is not given radio something that's not radio friendly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It might not be as competitive as maybe other songs are, um, but that's all ebb and flow in the landscape and what a programmer gets on their desk every day. Yeah. That's the one thing I think a lot about is like, not only do they get CDs still, but they get files delivered to them, they get 
you know, a formalized way of music servicing that's digital mm -hmm. and they can just hit delete or yeah. not. There's, it's so, once you start to get music into the box of that computer and you can hit delete, it makes it so much harder. Uh, but we all as an industry have kind of figured out that that's much cheaper in order to deliver mm. music to mm. instead of producing CDs and producing mm. nice shiny sure. packages. But I'm telling you, I, we're going to see a huge shift back to shiny things oh, yeah. and amazing things because the costs have come down to make really good presentations on why it's worth it to go market an artist to mm. you or to your radio station. And do you still use independent promo guys yeah they're still independent promo mm -hmm. it's not um, it's retainer based for the most part where it's um, a certain amount of time for a certain amount of yeah, money right. like they're extensions of your own staff mm -hmm. um, and there are guys that are influential in every format still and the folks that were there a while back are still are still mm -hmm. working it mm -hmm. because radio guys are still there yeah it's still a very insular sort of group of mm. people that have been there and doing it for a long time, and, mm -hmm. and they're successful. Yeah. Well, we think this show has been very successful. We have to stop now. It's, it's time to put the brakes on, Dr. Potenza. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, right. Dr. Potenza uh, got uh, down uh, like to two questions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, That's one of the good interviews, though, when uh, the guest speaks more than the yeah. somebody like uh, Marconi talks. Yeah. Uh, that's good, which is, happens quite a bit. So, Does Dr. Steve talk a lot on the Dr. show? Dr. Steve, sometimes he won't stop talking and yeah, it's hard okay. for the guests and me to you ever really see anybody talk with Jim Carrey or not <laughs> when Jim Carrey's on no you haven't all right so uh, we would I'm a straight man in my older age <laughs> and enjoying it he's, he's I was never the straight man really you were no, always the, the I always had to give the energy well, I love this. We're discovering something. And how many how many shows have you done? And we're just learning this right now. So we need to uh, stop this because I'm upset with you, John, for Very some reason. It's uh, it's been held held back deep inside my soul for many years. I'll, I'll speak with uh, somebody about this. Maybe another doctor. Well, I think we should also have John on during the year for the full hour. Yeah, we'll we'll have you call uh, in. Oh yeah, okay. Call in and, yeah. and continue yeah. this because I think this is really. Um, a big piece that even you're not getting in this building for these three days, yeah. you know, because everybody's so much into data and mega and metadata and and so on and apps and so on. But there is still radio, and everybody mm -hmm. will say terrestrial radio is the way to get a hit if you're going to be a radio hit, obviously. Right. And I think this uh, podcast is going to be a big hit because of the name John Butler. John Butler. Giving us hits, wow. bringing the hits. That was a great transition. Laser you, are, hits. you have found your calling back to radio. This yes. is really incredible. The JB. We want to thank the CP, Charles Potenza, Dr. Charles Potenza, for making this happen. You brought John in. Thank you so much. We want to thank Dr. Stabon Marconi. Well, for thank you very much. We all, all <laughs> three of us. Yeah, 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 yeah. We want to thank our my co-host. Who is I? Yes. Professor David Kurt Phil. And instead of saying hello at the end, we always say adios! Uh.